and welcome to Data Talk. Our podcast covers all things data collection, web scraping, and analytics that will help you and your business become more data-driven. I'm Phil Burns, Growth Marketing Director at Luminati, the Data Collection and Proxy Network. Welcome to episode two of Data Talk, and today we have our very special guest, Paul Lenchner, the CEO of Luminati. Uh, thank you for taking your time out of your day to speak with us. Um, and my infamous co-host, Romy Orgad. Hello. How you doing? Good, how are you? I'm very well, thank Good, you. Good, Philip. Thank you for having me. <laughs> okay, so let's jump straight into some questions. And I think, as we started on the, the previous episode, let's hear a little bit about your story. How did you become the CEO of one of the world's biggest data collection uh, companies? Um, so I started, first of all, thank you for having me, I should say that. And I came with my Panda shirt, which is in my... WWF. Yeah, the one I'm wearing for uh, special occasions. I'll link that to the impact report that we talk about. Nice. Yeah. That's why I'm doing marketing. <laughs> Long story short, I had a few things of my own, let's say from 2010 to 2015, one of them was a website that is reviewing browser extension. No one did that. I thought it, it, it can be cool because everyone installing browser extensions, uh, but it was a complete failure. <laughs> Still, I reviewed an extension called Hola VPN, and then I, uh, I, I think I just sent an email to Ophel, one of the co-founders of Hola, and then also Luminati, uh, suggesting a few improvements. But in a very, now I know that it was a very Illuminati way, which is just, you know, sending him screenshots with arrows, pointing on bad things and suggesting how to improve them. And then we met. Uh, I think that a few days after I met him and Derry, the second co-founder, I sold all of the businesses I had. All of them were internet-related, web-related businesses, and I joined the company as a product manager. Then uh, it went pretty well, and Illuminati started to grow, so I invested more of my product skills in Illuminati than in Hola, and became the VP product of Illuminati. Um, then, I don't know, probably a few months, maybe a year, um, became the COO. And after Illuminati was acquired by EMK Capital, a year after, I replaced Offer as the CEO and he became the president. Let's talk about data a little bit. And I think, um, well, you, you wrote an article about, you're, you're an avid surfer, right? And you gave te- top tips on how to, the lessons of surfing and how to apply it in business. And mm-hmm. one of them is to be, um, adapt to um, unpredictable times. And when we're looking at alternative data, I think when we look at AMC um, and GameStop in the last couple of, in the last week or so, I think that's a perfect example about how things can be unpredictable and how you need to overcome or adapt very, very quickly. So before we jump into this subject a little bit, maybe explain exactly what alternative data is and what's the difference between traditional data and alternative data. The simple way to describe it is Traditional data for investment is usually using data that is uh, released or published uh, published, sorry, by the company itself. So a company has its quarterly report, and once in a while they have some announcements 
of product release or new investments or adventures, whatever, or whatnot. That's traditional data. Alternative data is anything but that. So, for example, I want to invest in a travel company. I can look at their quarterly reports and the yearly reports, but I can also look at the inventory online of flights. Or I can say, see the changes in prices with the competition. I can look at real estate prices um, over a certain area to see if there's going to be hotel uh, investment. So there's a lot of data uh, that's generated. Basically, it's gathering the facts, the, the real, real facts, using uh, data that's published, either online or other sources. That's alternative data. I think that there are two, two interesting things here. So I think that by definition, alternative data is already and will always be significantly uh, bigger data source than traditional data today already, as the web is the biggest data source that we have and it's growing rapidly every day. And also what, what I think what we are seeing on a daily basis, and it's not just in investments, it's on every use case in Vertica, is that we can never anticipate what is considered as alternative data. Things that you will never imagine, but I remember one example we had is prices of bleach, right? Yeah. Who the hell wants to know about prices of bleach in mass scale? I'm talking about huge scale yeah. to understand if to invest in what, what chemical it? companies. Chemical companies. So, yeah, now that we said it makes sense, sense, but you need to actually do some deep thinking yeah. as, as a customer you know what I'm saying? Yeah. to understand what is the alternative data. It can be anything, anything. We got a use case um, a couple of days ago. Um, it's actually real estate and fuel. And they monitor the fuel prices and to understand where is that. In the U.S., it's, it's an open market. It's not like Israel where everything's regulated. So they see the changes of fuel prices and the proximity of, of um, gas stations to see where they want to invest. To invest in what? In, fuel, in, uh, in uh, gas stations. Oh, I see. So it's, hmm. it, it goes so, I mean, so deep and you see, and you think, where does it, you know, where, where can you see gas prices online? I mean, it's, it's something that's so offline. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I found at least three sources. And one of them is government, government releases. The deep thinking, I think this is what the market is doing right now. Mm-hmm. Everybody's going deep thinking and say, okay, how can I be ahead of the market? Yeah, because you just need to find that one data source that your com- competitors still couldn't figure out to get that edge on that. Do you think it's more accessible now than ever? Oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. First of all, yeah, thanks to us and our colleagues. Um, but also, the understanding is there. So you don't, and we should know better, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you don't really need to convince anyone today. You just need to, you know, have the best product and the most competitive yeah. prices and it's clear that they need the data. And I think it, it happens. It happened in the last, I think, three years. Three years ago, I used to fly. You know, we used to fly back in the day <laughs> to New York or other places. And you are, you know, walking into an office and you're not sure of yourself. And not because we're not sure of ourselves as a company, but you're not sure there's a kind of product market fit here. And the product stayed, the approach is pretty similar, 
but the market is totally different. Right. Today they are like, they're taking the meetings and they're listening. They're listening to what we have to say and they act upon, you know, the risk that it creates. It's sometimes good enough, not even saying, okay, I'll buy a GameStop or not. Just don't be surprised. Yeah, we saw it in our own numbers with our own customers. Yeah. Just last week we saw a couple of customers that still haven't collected data from these public forums and immediately started wow. when they saw GameStop uh, rocketing up. So that's why I think if, if it's only 78%, there's still a quarter of these companies that are still not using alternative data. But even the, the three quarters that are, and not just con- like the tip of the iceberg. So do you think this event or this, you know, what happened in recent weeks is going to change the value that's, uh, that's put onto companies using alternative data. Yeah, but I think that the evolution already started a year, two years ago, and this is just, you know... To... I think it sped things up, because as you mentioned now, looking at social media platforms as uh, indicators... Yeah, I mean, it will... Those who weren't there will be there t- tomorrow, yeah. if not today. Those who were already there will just put more resources in these uh, areas. And we'll always try to figure out what's the next thing because most of them just came very late to the game. I mean, the individual uh, you know, stock buyers were ahead of all of the bigger firms. I mean, these guys are Reddit users. Yeah. They read the Reddit forums. They were yeah. there in, in, you know, on day one. Yeah. The rest just followed. I think it's even... Uh, I, read, I read a post from one of the Redditors and he says, I'm leaving Reddit. And he says that because uh, Reddit became... He says there are now 6 million users. So it's visible to 6 million people all the time. He, lo- he lost his edge. Exactly. <laughs> so Reddit, in a sense, is not alternative data anymore, right? It's not... The, the, the existence of, of alternative data in everything is to get an edge. And once it doesn't have an edge, it does, it's not alternative data. So he's moving on. It's the, the same thing that happened with social media, right? We always get to the edgy one. It's the same thing. So I think we're going to see... Um, it does going to have a, an effect, Um so it's kind of like our parents going into Facebook, in a way. <laughs> <laughs> and now everybody's going to move on. Like the edge of people are going to move on. I'm still not on TikTok. So there's a, there's, a new, there's a lot of buzz online at the moment. And I only heard about this yesterday. There's a new social media platform about to be released. It's still in its better stages. It's got one and a half million users. But you just can't get into it right now because you need an invite. Oh, Clubhouse. Clubhouse. Yeah. And they're saying Clubhouse is going to be the next big thing because it's not social media like TikTok or Instagram, which is for, you know, which is very visual. It's very audio focused, visual focused for influencers and industry leaders. So perhaps the, it's just going to, it's still there, but it's shifting to, to a different place. The, the attention is somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a bit different though, because currently how it, how it looks like is that Clubhouse, uh, to, to gain traction, they want celebrities to, to be there. And I also listened to Elon Musk's Clubhouse. Yeah. It was easy because everyone just published it afterwards on YouTube. They recorded <laughs> the, it was a closed event, but they recorded it. But data, when it's in, in the form of sound, is less accessible when it's in the form of text. I guess that in the next years, sound will also be collected and analyzed and parsed, but currently it's still not scalable to, to, as alternative data to get or data that is qualified for you to get decision by. 
Just because the, the format. Mm. We need a transcript. <laughs> Do you think that's part of its popularity, like the growth of audio and podcasts right now, or it's... Yes, but I also think that they're just um, also marketing experts in creating the buzz and, yeah, hype. and the hype. Yeah. Made me think of a friend, actually, when, when you're talking about the bleach example. I have now a very successful friend. He owns like multiple um, uh, daycare and, and play centers over throughout the UK. When he was starting out as a 21-year-old, he didn't have money to, to invest in to understand where to put, you know, he need, knew he needed locations where there was lots of people, but he didn't have the resources or finances to invest in to understand where those locations were. And what he used to do is, if there was... Counting a... diapers in the trash cans. Right? <laughs> <laughs> That's alternative yeah, in exactly. the physical world. So what he used to do is, if Odeon, or if there was a cinema, a big cinema complex in that town, he knew that that organization did have the resources to invest in that um, into that data, and he would base his decisions based on those other organizations. Right, because families goes to the cinema yeah. before COVID-19. Before, pre-COVID. <laughs> There's much more data available now. It's more accessible to, to everybody. What are the, the key barriers to, to, for companies of all sizes to adopt new technology? First of all, to understand that it's actually not accessible. And that's the, the absurd. So it's public data. You as an individual can open your browser and see it. You as an organization that wants to gather that data in large scale, Basically, to gain back transparency, which will allow you to compete, which is always a good thing for the economy, the world, the, the consumers, then you're getting blocked. That's kind of an absurd, right? Um, so first of all, to understand that it's not as easy as it should be. The world will be a better place if all of the public data would have been public data. <laughs> That's not the case. It's actually sad. Um Once you understand that, then you just, you know, prioritize differently how you're going to approach it. You can do it on your own. You can use someone else, like Luminati or someone else. Just, just know that as a first step. Then the, the second thing is to start. It's never too early, okay? So you just, you can do it in very, very small, cheap scale, But it's a skill that you need to build. And that skill is getting decisions that are driven by data. Do it once on something small and minor, but then on the next task that you or the next decision you need to get, you do it again. And you'll improve this skill set, this muscle. Retail grew massively. I think you did a, um, a, a talk at the university mm -hmm. where you spoke about uh, retail and it grew <laughs> like five years ahead of where it was predicted. Ten be. years. So it, between March 20 to May 20, eight weeks, e-commerce uh, was pushed ahead 10 years. It's not a spike. You need to understand that. It's there to stay. Yeah. It just went up and it will never go down. It will just keep going up because it's not that now that you can go to the store, you'll stop buying online. No. I, I, I personally didn't visit this supermarket for, I think, almost a year. Why should I? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, even without COVID, why should I? Yeah. 
So yeah, in eight weeks we saw. An, uh, we're currently living in 2031 in terms of online retail, but it's not that online retail is something new, right? So it's just about um, scaling up the infrastructure, and obviously, like ev- everyone feels today, and I think that also everyone feels the massive improvement is you know getting the product physically to you to the buyer is one of the biggest challenges. Um, I personally feel an amazing improvement. I mean, just comparing early days of COVID-19 and today, today I just got something from Australia. I kid you not, from Australia. In how long? A week and a half. That's Australia. (laughs) (laughs) Just a plane takes uh, almost 20 hours, right? and that also, I mean, I also know personally <clears throat> companies, very interesting, smart companies that are working to solve this you know, last mile delivery and all of these things that, for example, need to understand where to um, establish their centers, their logistic centers. Also, they need data to get these super critical decisions. I can I mean... Placing the logistical center is one of the most critical decisions for for a company that holds stock. Yeah, when this it, it's it can be you no know, change between win or lose in the business where you place it. Even for this, you need data, traffic data. Uh, what's going to happen in the next twenty years around you? You have issues with people around you or not? Uh, air pollution, things that you can't even imagine. They can imagine, but they just need to grab the data. Anything else you want to add on the, the whole retail? Uh, or shall I, shall I move on to the, the third and final subject for today? Yeah, I have something to say. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, it's even more than that. I think um, Or and I have a brand that we both really, really like, and it's a t-shirt brand. Let's can, I, can I say the name? Yeah, yeah, yeah Son of a Tailor. We're... Uh, you told me about it last week, and I, mean, yeah. I went and checked them out. And and so listen, I have a coupon code. Yeah. When you <laughs> <laughs> I just bought. I just bought like literally. I'm replacing all my t-shirts like this week with long t-shirts, and, and it's. I. I but did you just? Did you just get in love test, with that brand? A test product first. Did you buy one and then decide, or you? This, this is a t-shirt that I, this specific one I yeah. bought like I think two years ago. Yeah, it's still the same. It's the one that you when you want to feel comfortable and you wear it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we want some uh, more coupons maybe on that. Um, but I think what and, and how, how it kind of relates to data I think this is a brand that is pure online in the broadest sense of the word that you can possibly think of and I think this is the challenge that a lot of companies will have in, in the next 10 years how do I build a brand that's not based on physical presence so they'll have the core of the logistics and the prices, but around it, they will need data to have kind of the, the brand presence because there's nothing, nothing else now to hinge on. And the brands that will kind of pop up now um, will have zero physical um, connection. And I think it's a good thing. I think what Son of the Taylor did is so unique in the landscape um, and they're not alone. It's, it's green because um, they're, you know, literally cutting the, the t-shirt for the zero waste. And it's uh, 
you know, blank t-shirt, you know, just a t-shirt, but it's just for you, right? You think this t-shirt is so unique because it's mine, you know, but it, <laughs> it, it does, it's your, it fits you. And I think this is our generation, um, I mean, the gen- generation younger than us, but still, this is a brand that has zero, there's no store, maybe pop-up store once in a while, I don't know if they do that, but, and this is the idea. So you have the data in the core logistics, flights, I, I ordered like a week ago, it's now in, in the airport in Israel, I already released it. So in a week, I got like all the t-shirts that I want, I know they're going to fit me. I know I didn't do any environmental damage, there's no inventory. So in the logistics, you have flights and no inventory. And how do you act? How do you behave as a company with no inventory? What do you hold? What, what's your like assets? Uh, how your website looks like? How do you connect with your customers and your prospects and everything? So everything is like, everything is data basically. And I think this is the revolution and this is the evolution. How do you like Arcadia move from, you know, shelves with t-shirts and t-shirts and whatever and sneakers? saying, I don't need all of that, but what do I do now? And I think this is what's going to happen. This is like the, the evolution. We're still not in 2031, in my opinion, but, or oh, I would say this way, there are companies that are there already, and there are companies that are in yesterday, and this is kind of the break that we're going to see this year. Just, just, to, just on the 2031, I was talking, referring to the online presence mm-hmm. of, of human beings, Doing, living their lives online. Yeah. I think you talk, we talked about alternative data and I want to kind of uh, relate it to retail um, and the online world and data. I think we, we will see, it's not only retail, by the way, also insurance and other, I would say, old, old school industries. They're learning to use data in a way that surrounds their business. So it's, it could be risk. It could be regulations. It could be suppliers. I think what we're going to see from the kind of old school players, let's say omni-channel or it's like learning how to utilize data without changing their business model. Because changing business model is going to take a lot of effort for them. I don't know if all of them are there, but learning if my supplies are going under, if there's a change in taxes, regulations, in FDA approval, SEC filings, whatever. I think this is maybe a change we're going to see uh, later on in the next few years. Okay. We're running short on time, so just Final few questions on uh, on ethical data. I think it's something that we ha- we have to touch upon. Um, and I kind of had really three core questions to, to ask you. And I think the first one is, what is the most important factor when choosing a technology for data collection? Um, you mean from the ethical perspective or in general? Both. Both, okay. First of all is... Um, awareness that there is such thing. The analogy that works the best for me, and I'm using it over and over again, and I'll do it again one more time, is a fisherman going out to the ocean to catch fish. Okay? Every one of our customers, or any listener that needs to collect data, no matter what data, is that fisherman for, for the next minute. Going out to the, to the sea, to the ocean to catch fish is something that you need to plan. If you catch too many fish or do it in an irresponsible way, for example, throw your net where you shouldn't, in, in many ways, probably more ways that you can imagine, you can damage the ecosystem. If you damage that ecosystem, a few things will happen. 
first of all, you won't catch any fish. Maybe you'll catch them today, but you won't catch them tomorrow. And no one wants to have only short-term wins. It's not something sustainable. And the most severe thing is that you'll damage the ecosystem, and the ecosystem won't want to assist you in the future. They'll actually try to make everything harder for you and for your quality. So in the ocean, I don't know, maybe fish will move to, to, to another place. Taking all of this analogy to the online world, it's pretty much the same. If you, if you won't plan, and, and choosing a vendor, for example, is a major part of planning. If you won't plan ahead and understand that there is such thing, unethical data collection, you're risking damaging the ecosystem, which is the World Wide Web or that specific website that uh, is hosting the data you want to collect. Then it will be harder tomorrow to do the same, even if you're collecting the data for the most valuable charity, NGO, non-profit organization, we have a lot of them, researchers. Even if you do that for, for the best possible cause in the world, only valuable thing for all of the world population, Still, tomorrow, it will be harder for you to do that because that website, it's their business. They don't want to get hurt. They'll just make it harder for you to collect that data. The awareness is the number one thing. Even It's important even in low scale because usually when you start small, you see the value, then you scale up pretty fast and you want more data. It's like gold. The good news is that you don't really need other than understand that, you don't really need to do a lot more. You just need to pick the right vendor to do it for you. If you want to do it yourself, fine. Just, you know, focusing not on your business, but on data collection, which, why? And when you're choosing a vendor, you need to understand that that vendor is working in an ethical manner. The way to do that is just to ask the right questions, okay? And get transparent answers. I didn't even say right answers because <laughs> it's it's a fluid situation. It's a new industry. What are the right questions that should be asked? First of all, talk about it, and you know if if the vendor tells you what, <laughs> then it's probably not the right one. <laughs> you want to be able to learn from the vendor, and you want you don't want to um, get the vibe that ah it's fine, don't worry about it. No, it's it, should be in the vendors. I'm getting emotional when I'm talking to customers about it because I care so much, not just me as, as the company. You want to say, it's um, asking what are your you know, precautions and measures that you're taking to make sure that you're not being, uh, you're not loading, you're not being too heavy on, on the website, for example. Uh, if, it, if it's a proxy service that, or, or just asking how you're able to gain access to the website, usually you need to use proxies for that. Then ask, okay, how do you get those proxies? If it's residential IPs, how do you get those residential IPs? I can't think of any reasonable answer that, that is other than just answering it in the most transparent way. Why the hell should someone hide this information from its customers? It's not a commercial secret. It's not a secret. It's something that is very important to understand. 
There's a bunch of questions. We, uh, we, we have this short list of around 10 questions that we have on our website to, to help the industry. You don't have to do it with us. Just make sure for your own benefit to ask them. The last question on this, I think that the standards have changed probably quite significantly over the past five or 10 years. Obviously, you want to be on the very tip of, um, of those kind of rules and regulations that you're adhering to. Again, I think I heard this in another interview that you did where somebody asked, like, there's different regulations from all around the world. How do you make sure you're complying to, um, for, to all of them? And I think your answer was you just comply to the highest level of standard. Is that yeah. paraphrasing correctly? Yeah, but it's deeper than that. So the actual problem is that it's not regulated enough. When it's regulated, it's so easy. You just read the piece of paper. You tell your CTO, okay, build it this way. You tell your legal counsel, make sure we do it the right way. You even pay auditors to check on you. That's it. It's easy. But so you see, we're not regulated at all. Data, when you say data, everyone thinks of privacy. Privacy is regulated. It's easy. Everyone hates the GDPR and all that. I love GDPR. It's so easy to understand what you can and cannot do. Just to make sure you're doing what you are allowed to do. The data collection industry itself is not regulated at all. This is why we're trying to you know, invent the regulations in the highest standard that we can think of and to talk to anyone that we can and ask for regulation. It's working. It's a slow process, but we're here for, for a long time. And we're going to stay here for a long time, so we should just keep pushing, and this is what we're doing. What do you think will eventually regulate the, this market? The one that will define the market first. <laughs> so, um, I mean, the ICO, the, the UK-based regulator who is regulating the GDPR, the invented GDPR, did an amazing job with the GDPR just writing it in a clear way. It, it looked like a mess in the beginning, mm-hmm. but it's actually not that complicated. It's very clear. We understand that. So maybe they will. But uh, myself, personally, I'm trying to talk to everyone who's willing to listen. But you just need to act as if you're regulated. This is what we're doing. And then there's a standard. If there's a standard, mm-hmm. others might follow. You just need one more to, company to follow, then a, sec, a third one to follow, and then it's, it's a de facto standard, and then it will be easier to regulate it. Ethics in data collection is something else. You can't really define it because everyone... Ethica, ethics is about drawing the line. What, what you can, you cannot do. I will draw the line one place, you will draw the line another place, and the computer will draw the line depending on how many bugs you, you wrote in the code. I mean, who knows where the computer will draw the line. He's the one that's eventually executing the code. So this is why we've launched the, our ethical committee just a few days ago. But maybe this body will be able to have an like unbiased look over overview over the industry, set up the ethical standards, because the legal ones will, will come one day. And then I hope that everything will be very organized and neat and you won't need to even to interview your vendor. You just need to see like a, a step that they are in the right standards. Do you have a time frame when you think this will 
So we just launched it, and we'll be, we're, we are building it, and it's happening. Lots of traction, lots of interest from many, many bodies. The, the, the thing that we're trying to do now, and the hard thing to do, is to understand who shouldn't be there. <laughs> we want only people that can bring actual value to this specific area. So it means that you need relevant knowledge in data collection, in internet, and in ethics. What is ethics? <laughs> you need also practical experience. Just coming and, and talking about things, it's nice, but I mean, it's not a secret. We're a business and our colleagues are businesses. We are for-profit organizations. So practical knowledge and experience is crucial because if this ethical committee will decide or will set the standards, standards that are not feasible for a commercial company to follow, it, it won't happen. And we want it to happen. So I think that in a few months, not, not many months, two or three months, it will publish its first uh, report and will be presented with, with its uh, uh, members to, to the world. If one of our listeners wants to be involved in, uh, in this, how do they, how do they become? Um, just send Thomas. us an email. <laughs> Link below. Link below. Goodbye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, I know you need to go, so thank you very much for uh, spending some time with us today. That's great. Yeah, yeah. very Thanks for the whiskey. Sure. There'll be more next time. <laughs> yeah, we need more. <laughs> <laughs>